Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. It's a lot in there. It's a lot. Uh, but I am excited to jump into this book. And man, I've been blessed by it already. There are a, a lot of links and different things that are in the program, in the notes. Uh, and you can jump into any of those. They're kind of like, just think about them as just like other other resources, you know, shedding light on the text and kind of what we're going through. And if you're like, man, this is this is good. This is like interesting. And maybe some of the things that you hear, you're like, man, I might not have heard that before. Some of these, uh, like especially the podcast that's mentioned in uh, in this week's sermon that's in the... Um, in the program notes, I encourage you to go listen to it. It's really good. We're just scratching the surface in in the message. And here, you know, you've got the rest of the week to jump in and study and dig in. Uh, so take advantage of those resources. And, and then you're, you're also seeing kind of like what I'm reading, who I'm reading, who those authors are. And I, I promise you it'll be a blessing um, if you kind of dive into that realm with those authors. Um this book handles, it handles a lot of, honestly, right out of the gate, a lot of things that cults would cling to. Um, the first four verses just honestly obliterates most of the cults that exist. I, th- I think uh, a big one is they remove the deity of Christ. They say that he was just a man. He was just a prophet. Um, you know, it's like um, he was born. And, and, I want to also say this, too, because we're all coming from different places. Uh, For those of you that kind of come from a more, like, um, legalistic background, King James only, you're going to see some things that uh, the King James words weird, and you miss out on some of the things we're going to talk about today because um, the Greek word that we're going to find, it's only here in these first four verses, the Greek word that we're going to look at about halfway through the message, it's only there. Like it's literally not used anywhere else in scripture. And there's, good to see you. And there's a, um, there's another place in extra biblical writings that everyone in this day and age, whether it was 80, 60, depending on who you think wrote the book, 80, 60, or 80, 90, they would have been reading the wisdom of Solomon. They would have been reading the book of Enoch. And we've talked about the book of Enoch a lot in here, and I'm not saying go memorize it and treat it as the canon, uh, but it's good to know that, like, what these guys were talking about is in those books because that's what they were all reading. You know, if we were to talk about it today, uh, I don't know what's something everybody's into watching these days. What's 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 a show? What's everybody into? I don't even know. The Chosen, right? That's a really, that's a good illustration. Uh, Look, everybody is like, Pastor, have you watched The Chosen, right? And I should watch it. 
Why? Because it is a, uh, a thing that everybody is in and it unites us all around scripture and it's a story and it's a narrative that we all are kind of immersing ourselves in, except me because I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna though, I keep saying that, I'm gonna watch it. But that's an illustration, right? Of something that is culturally relevant that if everybody is watching it, then we're connecting on that. Not to say that it is inerrant or infallible, but if everybody's watching it, and that's kind of what we're talking about, if I make a reference to it, you're like, oh, he's talking about the chosen. You know, I think everybody said Matthew is like kind of autistic or something in the thing, and I kind of take offense to that, just kidding, because uh, my name is Matthew, but uh, neither here nor there, nothing against that. But, you know, the idea is like, hey, you should, uh, you know, you could make a, a joke or something about it, and we would all kind of track with it. They do that in the New Testament. They talk about things. They, they say quotes from things, and they're from other books, other books that most of, most of us don't know anything about. And I'm not a scholar. I say this often, um, and, and I want you to know this. Like, I'm not a linguist. I'm not a scholar. I'm a pastor. Um, and, you know, there's a calling there, but God calls some to be, like, legit teachers, that speak these languages and that dig into them and that know the grammatical structure of why certain words are feminine, neuter, whatever, genitive, nominative case. Uh, and it means something. It really does. And, and thank the Lord for those scholars that put things together. And this morning is going to be an example of the work of scholars that, you know, thank the Lord I've been exposed to it. I can share with you and it's going to illuminate the text. It's going to be like, oh man, I see it now. And we wouldn't have seen it before. And so I would encourage you, let's all of us be a church that is open to good sound doctrine, that's open to biblical scholarship, peer-reviewed biblical scholarship, not some one-off. Uh, <laughs> we, we, you know, we come from, all of us uh, come from different places, but some of us in particular come from uh, certain sects of faith that are, they only read their own authors and everybody else is wrong, and that kind of idea, like, I don't want that here. Like, that is not my intent. Even if we uh, disagree with someone, um, you know, if they love the Lord and they believe, like, tier one theological issues and they're on point, like, I'm for it. You know, I'm for another church that does things differently than us. If they're preaching God's word, you know, we need to relax on some of those things. And then other things we could probably tighten up on. And, and avoid, right? Uh, like false teachers that are manipulating the text and manipulating scripture, and that's on both sides of the aisle, conservative and liberal, uh, and we're gonna see some of that too. So look, we would all do well just to get in deep here into the text and see what the Lord is gonna do, but uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna jump in. And it's gonna take some interesting, interesting turns um, but hopefully you're along for the ride. Uh, I'm going to try to get it done in 30 minutes, and we're going to go to the house. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Who's recording the Ravens game? Who's making barbecue? I just need lunch. I'm just trying to figure out. Nobody's raising their hand right now. Nobody. They're like, we don't want the pastor over at our house. <laughs> Somebody's going to be drinking alcohol. Yeah, me. I'm going to show up and drink it all. Who isn't? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> least you know it's real here. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Let's pray again. Father, we love you. 
Thank you. We need you, Spirit, come. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, I'm going to do my best here to bring you along to a place where they were. This is written to Hebrews. How many folks do we have in here that speak Hebrew? Just looking. None? Okay. So we need to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the audience that the author means. And we don't know who wrote this. It's not like, hey, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those that are at Philippi, right? There is none of that in this book. There's only pure speculation. Those that think it's from so-and-so, some people think it's Clement. I could get behind that. There's some quotes in Clement's letters, one of the early church fathers that mimic what's happening in Hebrews. Um, Maybe Phoebe, don't know. I know that would ruffle some theological feathers. Maybe Apollos, I could see it. I don't think it was Paul, personally. Um, But maybe it was Paul, who knows? Um, But we don't know. But we do know that if you kind of like think about Hebrews, the Jews, the language that they speak, and, and they come right out of the gate saying, long ago, in a land far, far away, just kidding, but long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. Now, the, the Gentiles were just now being included, right? And of course, there's a place for the stranger all throughout the law and the text. But the point is, is that God chose a people, Israel, uh, the Jews, and they were his chosen people. And that got sideways. How many know it got sideways? Even in their own leadership, right, they were, if you think about the time of the day, um, the Roman Empire was the governing power, but to keep the peace, the Roman Empire allowed the Jews to operate within their law and within their legislative system within the Roman Empire. So yes, they were subjected to the, the government of the day, but the government of the day, if you think about it, like Pilate was like, I don't find any fault in Jesus. But it was the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders that were like, he's a blasphemer and you're going to let us kill him right now. In fact, you're going to kill him. That's what our courts have decided. And to keep the peace, they killed him, right? Playing into the hand of the modern day government. But that's the structure. And so you have these Jews, right? Judaizers, uh, Jesus would say hypocrites, right? That were carrying out the belief of old school Judaism, Torah-abiding Pharisees, and this is coming for them. This is going to fillet them open at their core. And this is going to say, hey, the very Torah and the very law that you are abiding by, it testifies of Jesus, even though you don't. How would you feel if you were just like living your whole life in this way, and then you find out, oh my goodness, Like, I didn't even get it. I didn't even understand it. It was so much more than I thought. Well, that's what's happening, right? Written to the Hebrews, right out of the gate. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. We could say those uh, Israel, Jews, by the who? Come on now. Y'all are already in game mode. I mean, come on. I know we got a game today. I know it's going to be good. But let's, let's worry about the real game right here. You know what I'm saying. The ancestors by the who? At different times in different... Nice. How many use Waze as an app? That's how ADD I am right there. That's my mind just went like... Anyway. 
uh, in these last days. That's interesting, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, it was in these last days. Hmm. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his, come on, say son. Yeah, there we go, by his son. I know I'm stupid. God has appointed him heir of what? All things. And made the universe through him. Capital T, capital S, the is the radiance. Turn to your neighbor and say radiance. He's the radiance of God's glory. Say to your neighbor, glory. Just like that, okay? He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Somebody say amen. amen. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. All right, buckle up for the ride we're about to take. The theme of the book is the supremacy of Christ. Christ is above all things. He is over all things. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ about me. I think it's maybe a Puritan prayer. I've heard some say it uh, and read it. Christ is over all things. He is better than the angels. He is better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than Moses. And if you said that in a congregation and some of them were borderline Judaizers, they'd have been like, he's better. He's better than Joel Osteen. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe. <laughs> I got jokes today. I don't know why. Um, the supremacy of Christ is the theme of this book. You know, that just gave me an interesting thought. If your church setup doesn't allow Christ to be the most supreme being in the room, then you got a problem. There's three sections to the book. The first section is introduction, verses 1 through 4. Then after that, verses 5 through chapter 4, verse 14, is Christ's royal sonship. The second uh, section is chapter 4, verse 15 to chapter 10, verse 18, and it's Christ's high priesthood. And then the third section is exhortation to believers in the light of Christ's supremacy. So now that we know Christ is above all things and he is uh, the main attraction, what do we do with that? We're going to learn. I wrote this. The revelation of Christ is superior to all other revelations. I'm going to say that again. The revelation of Christ is superior to all other revelations. There is finality to the revelation of Christ. It, it says that these are the last days and Christ has sat down. In other words, what needed to be done has been done, it has been accomplished, and there's nothing else left to do. And Christ is the head of this thing. You know, kind of like Christ is the head of the what? The church. It's a new age. There's language here that says, not out with the old, but the old brought us here, and now someone else is going to carry us to the end. That's what's happening here. 
the revelation of Christ is superior to all other revelations. So what happens when you have a modern-day revelator? Is that how you would say that? A modern-day fellow or lady that says, I have a new revelation. And it's something that's not in line with the text. What do you do with that? You carefully squeeze it between your hands together until it's small, very small, and you throw it in the trash can. That's what you do with it. Why? Because there's already been a revelation and there's already been finality brought with that revelation. And his name is Jesus. And if somebody says, I got a revelation from, I don't know, like the angel Moroni, you could be like, yeah, that angel's name was not Moroni, it was Moron. Mm -hmm. And that's a bunch of garbage. That's what it is. Why? Because this revelation is the revelation. It's the one. The one that we need to be focused on. And lest we just, you know, alienate a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness. And a Jehovah Witness, right, they take away, they strip the deity from Jesus. Like, what? You know, he's not a prophet. Do you understand that, like, uh, basically you could look at, like, I think Islam, same thing. He's just, he was just another prophet. Right? You could look at these different versions of religions and you can see what separates them. And it's like good, sound biblical doctrine. And here's where we need to like see the difference between the Judaizers. I mean, think about this for what? I don't know, 4,000 years or so. This is like the Jews thing. It's Yahweh and it's them and they are his people. And how did they do with that? (laughs) Not that good. They made poor decisions. They went a whoring after other gods, right? We find that they... Uh, abused and misused their power in the priesthood. They made mistakes. They proved that we as human beings, we could not save ourselves through a religious system. We needed someone else, someone greater than us. The first Adam, where he failed, the second Adam would prevail, right? And so these are things that we're connecting, but we're not just here to beat up on other religions, right? I mean, I, I beat up on other Baptists. It doesn't make a difference to me um, because it's like I see where the constructs fail us miserably and where they fail him because we get comfortable and we get complacent. It's really about him. It's not about our version of him or how or what we've made him out to be. He stands on his own. He really does. Uh, and so uh, the, the best that I can do is just describe. So just help to to share what he's doing in my heart. Uh, But I think this is important, right? This letter is going at the Judaizers. It's saying, and and in this modern day, in this modern day period, there were folks worshiping angels. So why is he saying uh, he's more superior than the angels so that all the people that were there, like, you know, praying to Michael or whatever they were doing to Michael, you know what I mean? They would be like, ah, uh, yeah, Jesus is greater than him. He actually receives his uh, task list for the day from him. Um, It puts things in order. And and a Judaizer that is like, no, I'm not accepting Jesus as the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one. I don't think so. No, he's not the Messiah. Uh, Yes, he is. 
He's absolutely who he said he was. And you're going to see Paul, you're going to see Peter, and, and in some scriptures that we're going to tie in today, uh, we're going to see them affirm that. Them say, yeah, he absolutely was who he said he was. Um, and so uh, not just modern day cults or whatever, like the Jews struggle with this. And even what? Today. And even today they don't want to accept it or see him as the Messiah. Um, and I think that there's like biblical evidence to the fact that there's a season where they had their opportunity and not that they can't come to Christ today. Paul was a Jew. He came to Christ. We're not saying that it's over for them, but clearly there's been a shift in the atmosphere and now it's time for the Gentiles to come. Do you see that? I think we can see that within, uh, within the church and not just Gentiles, but Jews as well. But I think that like, Cody and I were joking. I think I sent you a meme about it. Like when I grew up, it was like three quarters of the church budget went to Israel. <laughs> and it's like, everything's Israel, Israel, Israel. And it's like most of those people over in Israel don't even believe in Jesus. But they'll take your money. Yes, whoever is a friend of Israel is a friend of God. Send us your money. We need, And it's like some kind of crazy infomercial. And once again, I'm not really sure why folk they, you know, they call me while I'm preaching. I don't really, <laughs> who doesn't know that I'm, <laughs> anyway. Uh, but at some point, like we have to see here that this isn't a blind loyalty that we just give allegiance to Israel because that was God's chosen nation. Not that God has, goodness gracious, they're being persistent. Not that God has moved on, but his plan has developed. And so we don't need to be like superstitious. Well, we're just going to be friendly with Israel. And then if America, if America doesn't be kind to Israel or friendly to Israel, we're doomed. Um, in Revelation, it is not the political power of the day that saves you. It's not. It's not your affiliation with the right side. Or if a Republican gets in, we're good. Like, that's not it. And mind you, like, I'm really like, especially coming up, it's already started. We, are, we have an election year upon us, and I'm ready to make people upset. I'm ready. I'm primed and ready to go. It, it's just, it's dumb. We're putting our faith and trust in these people that literally, if they can use it to leverage a vote out of you, they will. They absolutely will. And why do I say that? Because it's, if we just got through studying Revelation in the uh, senior Bible study on Wednesdays, and it is like literally the political power is Team Dragon and everything else is Team Lamb. So just be careful, right? Let's keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus, our leader. Our allegiance is to him. The whole point of this is can you get to the end of your life and say, I've always been loyal to him. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the what? Faith. That's the whole, what's the point? What are we doing here? What's like, what is the goal? Here's the goal. Just be loyal to Jesus to the end. That's it. What do I want to build? What do I want to accomplish? Yeah, the Lord will lead you to do different things in different seasons. But one thing that he'll always lead you to do and you never stop is just be loyal to him. And in fact, your loyalty to Jesus will bring you where you need to be. So let's talk more about Jesus. Amen. All right, let's break this down. Verse number one, the Lord spoke long ago. I just want to walk through this with you. What that means, what I'm seeing this mean here is, this is referring to the Old Testament. 
Why? The Lord spoke long ago, what, to our ancestors by the prophets. We're talking about the Old Testament. Verse number two, uh, in these last days. So, let me help you all with something. Prophecy sells. I'm going to say that again. Prophecy sells. I mean, if John Hagee can make another Blood Moon book, he's going to do it. And nothing against that. I have no, really no idea what he's like as a person. But I'm assuming he's probably filthy rich. That's my guess, like all of them. <laughs> you know, if they're prophesying or if they want to tell you what the Bible says prophetically, and it just cracks me up because they'll give you these elaborate number systems that say when the red heifer is going to be born. I don't know who the red heifer is. People are always talking about a red heifer or a blood moon. I have no idea. But these elaborate prophetic systems, I can't ever find scholarly or scholarship peer-reviewed work that says, yeah, this makes sense. In fact, it's like, hey, this is a stretch. This is an absolute stretch to get there. And I'm thinking to myself, they're preaching it like it's gospel. I mean, when I grew up, it was the, does anybody know? What was it when I grew up in the kind of church I grew up? Because some of y'all grew up in it. What was coming, huh? The rapture, 100%. We're all going to be raptured out. You know, that's, that's really kind of you to think that. And I'm not affirming it one way or another. Just get my point here. All of these gospel authors are saying, we're living in the last times. We're going to remain loyal to the end. We're putting Jesus where he belongs. And they're being hunted like dogs and killed. But yet we somehow believe in our little culture, a corner of America, that the Lord is going to rapture us out. And in fact, we're going to have a rapture class where we exercise, you know, every Wednesday morning. This is rapture class, okay? Everybody stand up. No, I'm kidding. It was a biblical, biblical teaching, and it's really hard to find in Scripture. Really hard. Like, it's not there. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. But anyway, you get the point. It's like, and if the Lord wants to rapture us out, he can choose to do that. I've had it, Lord. Who am I to tell him? But my point is, is when it says in these last days, it was a reality for them that they felt like they were at the what? The end. And I don't think it's contradictory. A, a thousand years on earth is as one, one day in heaven. So... We're 2,000 years removed. It's been a couple days. Maybe the Lord's going to wait, you know, three days. That makes sense, right? We've seen that. So 3,000 years, and then the Lord will resurrect his church. I have no idea. And the point is, is the Bible's not super clear about that. It's clear about what happens at the end, and it's clear that in between, there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of political unrest, there's a lot of crazy things happening, and guess what? I see all that today. Don't we? Somebody say, it's the last days. And it's the same cycle. What we found in uh, Rome, we're finding in America, we're finding in the nations today. Paul said it's principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. People, men are puppets in the hands of the unseen realm, evil forces that will always use them. They'll dangle the little lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and then they'll control them. We're seeing this today. Why should we be fooled to think that we're going to be the special ones that? It's... 
You're the special one, but every Christian before you that had to die has a white robe after he's killed for the cause. Gathered around the throne room in Revelation, a white robe is a sign of victory, and they received victory after they lost their life. At what point are we going to see that the gospel is upside down? It's not what we think prosperity is. It's actually living and giving our life for the cause of the kingdom because it's what's coming, not what is here now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we think we're just different than all the other Christians that gave their lives. I just think to myself, what does Paul think when he looks at the church today? Because I believe he's watching. I think part of it, he is like, that is not what I was trying to say there. (laughs) That sermon series, oh my gosh. Pray for Pastor Matt. He is off the reservation on that one. And he'd be like, man, they're a bunch of powder puffs. They get mad over paint colors. We talked about that. Church, in the last days, I wrote this. I think it is so helpful to look at the fact that we, what we are compiling from the New Testament authors, and this revelation says Christ's times are the last days. I've come to understand It's more as what Christ's work has initiated is final. There is nothing more that we need. Jesus is enough. And he, as we will see in this book, has done the most important work, and that is the gospel. What the Old Testament suggests for us to do, Jesus did. When the Jews of the day were elevating the writings of the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews elevates Jesus and says his life is the new standard, the moment of truth for us now. That doesn't mean that we throw out the Old Testament. It simply means that we have a final word to give us context with which to view the other writings. Come on. Okay, somebody say amen. I gotta tell you to do it. (laughs) Look at verse number two. I'm just teasing you. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Man, I'm about to have a Holy Ghost fit. He has spoken to us by his son. Now, we have to have an intermission here, 1153. I got to do this in like eight minutes. I think this writing, wording rather, I think this wording is deliberate. When he says he's spoken unto us by his son. Now, what has he spent his whole time here in the last two verses talking about? He's talking about to those that have accepted the Old Testament writings by the prophets and how what's happening now is the Lord speaking again. So so where they go to Torah and they read and they accept Torah as the revelation of God for them in their current day, the author of Hebrews is saying what Jesus did in his life is the new revelation for you now. Do you understand how, like, that's weighty? The Bible that you're reading, what is just as, if not more important, is the life that he just lived. They're stuck in their religion. They're stuck in their Judaizing way and how they interpret the law. And the manifestation of the word of God came, lived right in front of them, and they did not accept him. They crucified him. And the author of Hebrews is going, Do you understand that revelation is happening in his life? 
And if you choose to ignore his life, that means you're going to be living in something that is incomplete. If you hear me online, whatever, the three of you, somebody that watches this in the future, if you're clinging to Torah and not Jesus, you're clinging to something incomplete. Now, I'm going to go on my little rabbit trail here. You ready? Genesis 6, verse 1 through 2. If you've been with me a while, this will come quickly. You'll understand what I'm saying here. If, you, if this blindsides you, don't freak out. Go study it. Genesis 6, 1 through 2. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and the daughters were born, and daughters were born to them, the sons of who? The sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful. They took any and they chose as wives for themselves. Sons of God is a term used in, like verse number one, long ago, the Lord speaking to their ancestors. The sons of God is this narrative. We could call them members of the divine council. The Lord had created heavenly hosts that had responsibilities to govern. They had jobs to do. Uh, once again, we've talked about Paul saying principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. How many believe that the Lord has created entities in the unseen realm that have jobs, right? We see it. We know that there is evil pulling strings. You say evil, yes. Deuteronomy 32, eight through nine. When the most high gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the people of Israel. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his own inheritance. When Yahweh chose Israel as his portion, I believe he disinherited all the other nations to the sons of God that were defecto, that, that left their first estate, that chased after human women, that mated with them. I think that's the whole reason of the flood narrative. I think that there's a lot of a lot of that that makes total sense that there were there was a rebellion in the unseen realm. And the Lord is working to take back what was rightfully his. But this was the sons of God. They understood in their language that the sons of God were rulers in their own right. You see that? Psalm 82, one through two. God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the what? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? This doesn't, this doesn't mean like it's not monotheism. God, Yahweh, is still, uh, you know, we believe in, in the Trinity. We could say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Jews have had their version of that in Judaism. And so we still believe he is the supreme being. But that doesn't mean that there weren't other lesser gods that were operating, that were doing things, and that stepped out of their role where God originally had them. Do you see it? God says to them, you lower Elohim, what are you doing making decisions about humans that are evil, that are wicked? How long will you judge unjustly? My point is, this thing of redemption, this thing about God bringing back the Edenic blessing is more than just what we see. It is not just a battle in the physical realm. It is also a spiritual, and if not even more, a spiritual battle. We have to see that. And so when Jesus says, it is my son, we have to first see that this sons of God language has been used before. Job chapter one, verse six through eight. One day the, you got that? Yeah, one day the what? One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or the accuser, also came with them. The Lord asked the accuser, he asked Satan, where have you come from? 
from roaming through the earth. Satan answered him and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. There have been other sons in the picture in the Old Testament. These are they that worked in the divine council. They had an appointed place in the heavenly courts. And we see that there were some that defected. And I would presume that there are many that did not. There are some that that are and have remained faithful, but the author of Hebrews makes a point to differentiate between the sons of God and the son of God. The son of God. Remember in Jesus' earthly ministry, when Satan takes him up in the mountain, he says, all that you see will be what? Yours. Even to the point that Jesus was living his life, doing what was necessary to redeem us, to buy us back from the wicked. The wicked still thought they had control. They still thought the sons of God, the lower, the lesser, Elohim, that thought they had control. They thought they could offer Jesus that. And Jesus, I mean, like only he could, responds to them, understanding that he is the son. He is in a category above them. You should understand that who Jesus is to you is someone that is over all the principalities and powers. And the author of Hebrews is is making this point. He's driving it home. He's saying, "You're, you're writing and reading about all these other entities All these other entities in the Old Testament that have powers and that rule and that pull strings behind the scenes, but yet you're rejecting Jesus. Jesus is the son. He is the answer. He will make a show. He will defeat death, hell, and the grave. The sin that you think will hold him on the cross, he will split it wide open. He will have resurrection power, and he'll make a show of the other sons. They think that they have. They think that they can control. They think because uh, they had power in the heavenlies. But let me tell you something. The only power they had was because God gave it to them, and God will absolutely take it away. He has dethroned the enemy and enthroned his son. Somebody say amen. (laughs) It gets better. 12.01, I did it. Eight minutes. (laughs) We're tracking. Look at verse number three. The sun is the radiance. Do you see it? Turn to your neighbor and say radiance. Turn to your neighbor and say shine, baby. (laughs) Radiance, and and you think that. You think, yeah, shining, radiance. You're beaming, sweetheart. You are beaming. That's what you say when you wake up next to her every morning. You're beaming. You're radiant. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) You're radiant. And this is is an instance that when I listened to this episode of the Naked Bible Podcast, I was like, oh, my goodness. Without the Greek, we wouldn't know. So, this word, radiance, apugasma, I'm sure I shredded that, um, apugasma, is only used there. It is nowhere else in the Bible. He's the radiance. And I thought to myself, what is that all about? How is it that he used a word there to describe the sun? And obviously, it's the supremacy of Christ. He's doing this for a reason. He's trying to and remember the council of Nicaea, right? Like the, the point was, is, was Jesus born or was he an eternal deity? We believe he's eternal. Yes, he was born, 
but he surrendered his Godhead to be born. He existed before his birth. Do you understand what I'm saying? We believe that. We believe in the virgin birth, and that has its own implications. Yes, he was born, but it's both. He's also eternal. How, how did the Jews perceive that? Well, I'm so, so, so glad you asked. Um, this word apugasma is a key to that. It's, they're telegraphing another place in some other extra-biblical writings that they all would have had. So, for instance, uh, the Apocrypha, uh, and the apocryphal, I think is that how you say it, the apocryphal writings, um, a part of that, if you have a Bible that includes that, one of those books is the Wisdom of Solomon. And so similar to how I've talked about the Book of Enoch, they were reading it. It's their Netflix series, if you will. Contextually, it's what they understood. And so that word, apugasma, guess where the only other place it's used? in the wisdom of Solomon, in that book, with a specific quote from that verse. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? I'm geeking out up here. Come on. Here's what it says. For wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon, 7, 24 through 26. Uh, for wisdom, don't miss this. For wisdom is more mobile than any motion. Because of her pureness, this is the personification of wisdom, right? Do you see it? Because of her pureness, she pervades and penetrates all things. For she is a breath of the power of God and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore, nothing defiled gains entrance into her, for she is a reflection, apugasma, of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working God, an image of his goodness. Does that sound familiar? Let me read, let me jump back into Hebrews. You ready? The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, it's like a direct quote. The writer says, here's this word only used here. I'm going to use it here so you understand what I'm saying. Now, here's what's happening behind the scenes. In the, in, in the Torah, in extra biblical, extra, extra biblical Jewish writings, they personified wisdom. They made it an elevated wisdom as a person in their writings. And every Jew in the building, when this was read, would have understood that. They personified wisdom as, as such that it was someone that was seated next to God from the beginning of the foundations of the world. The word wisdom, she was personified and there from the beginning. Why? Because Yahweh is wisdom. So Yahweh in his community, it was a community of God, in his supremeness, a part of his community was wisdom. And here's what the author says. You Jewish folks sitting there thinking wisdom is a partner with Yahweh, you're missing the point if you don't see who that character was. Apu Gazma, we're talking about here, Hebrews is saying, I know where this word is used. And this word is saying that wisdom, she is with God and has been present with God from the beginning. And what I'm saying, 
Jesus is the radiance of that wisdom. He is the wisdom character. Wait, what's this mean? It means that if there's a place in the Old Testament that personifies wisdom, what that character is about is also who? According to the New Testament author, it's who? It's Jesus. Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 1. Doesn't wisdom call out? Doesn't understanding make her voice heard? Same passage, verse 22. The Lord acquired me at the beginning of his creation. Before his works of long ago, I was formed before ancient times, from the beginning, before the earth began. I was born when there was no watery depths, no springs filled with water. Before the mountains were established prior to the hills, I was given birth before he made the land and the fields and first the soil on earth. I was there when he established the heavens, when he laid out the horizon on the surface of the ocean, when he placed the skies above. The fountains of the ocean gushed out when he set a limit for the sea so that the waters would not violate his command. When he laid out the foundations of the earth, I was skilled. I was a skilled craftsman beside him, personified. I was his delight every day, always rejoicing before him. Proverbs 3.19, the Lord founded the earth, watch this, by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse number 12, he made the earth by his power, established the world by his, and spread out the heavens by his understanding. And if you have any question where the apostle Paul stands on this, they got it. They received it. They were like, we know who is personified. We know who is in the community of God from the beginning who's been there. We know who it is. Here's Paul's answer, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, he's like, look, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you say. Both Jew, those of you that have, you know, you got Torah written on your forehead, right? You're all about that. I don't care if that's you or if you're brand new. You said to this, if you said to a brand new Gentile that walked in the door, hey, Jesus is the son of God, they're like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, let's do this thing. Where do I get baptized? Right, it's not layers and layers and layers and years of tradition. So he says, Paul says, look, I don't care. Jew, Gentile, watch this. Christ is the power of God and the? What Paul is saying is we have access to the anointed one, the Mashiach. He has been, has always been, will always be the ancient of days in the community of God. What we see in the life of Christ, him coming, him being born of a virgin, he had to set his deity aside and we have a description. We know he's been convicted of the crime of being the wisdom character from the beginning. And we know who he is. His name is Jesus. This next one is really good. I'm like, let's go to Jesus himself, shall we? Jesus speaks, and and this is the synoptic gospels. In other words, what's in Luke is the same, same story that's in Matthew. And it's worded ever so slightly differently. Wonder why. I wonder if what Jesus was saying to the Jews, look, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to many as received, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the, 
even to them that believe on his name. This is so intimately connected. They had to put him in his rightful place and accept him as the Messiah. Until then, he's just another God. He's just another prophet. No, he's the God. He's the eternal wisdom of God. He is the word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God, the language of the only begotten son. Yes, he was born. Yes, we don't have to have the conflict of he was created. No, we understand the language of him being created as a son, being birthed. Why? Because he was the second Adam. He was the do-over. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. Why? Because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So he was, yes, born, but he was also not born. He was also eternal. Do you understand? I know this is a little mind-numbing, but I believe you can get it. Here's what Jesus says. You ready? In his rebuke to the Pharisees, look at this. See if you can notice the difference. Luke 11, 49 through 51. Because of this, what does he say? This is Jesus speaking. Because of this, the wisdom of God, what? Said. Jesus saying, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel, from the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Notice in the beginning, Jesus says, the wisdom of God, what? Said. Matthew 23, 29 through 36, the parallel passage. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we have lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding of the prophets' blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being uh, being condemned to hell? This is why I am sending you. Wisdom said, I'm going to send you prophets. Jesus says in Matthew, this is why I am sending you prophets, sages, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will flog in your synagogue, pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on this earth will be charged to you. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of uh, Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar, truly I tell you, all these things will come to this generation. It's the same parallel passage. Why does he do this? Because he has Jesus saying, wisdom is saying, and I am. All those texts, all the echoes from the Old Testament, from the ancient of days, that you see that it was wisdom personified with God, that's me. And they crucified him. Oh my goodness. Jesus is the reflection or the radiance or the wisdom of God that was present at creation and is present now at the right hand of the Father. Yahweh has always had the wisdom character because if he didn't, he would cease to be God. I want to mention this note too. I got about five minutes until I get to my next point. (laughs) The wisdom character is always she, if you read Proverbs 8. And I know what you're thinking. Everybody's like, see, women can be pastors. Got (laughs) them. 
I'm not debating that, neither here nor there. And if you believe that, great, more power to you. Our church, we just do what we do, and we don't pick on other people, except if they're a cult. Then we pick on them. And we laugh about it. We have fun about it, too, anyway. That's probably wrong, but oh well. I'll give an account for that later. Just kidding. Do you remember what Paul said about false teachers? <laughs> remember what Jesus said about them? Anyway, uh, here I am justifying my behavior right in front of you and the three people that are watching online. I love you, Miss Joan. It's a feminine gender to wisdom. And I want to point this out. Remember who he's writing this to. Those that hold to what the prophets told them. What are they holding to? Does anybody know? One word. They're holding to what they would call Torah. I abide by Torah. Guess what gender Torah is in the Hebrew? No, it's female. Torah is female in its, in its gender. So just like wisdom is female, the author is putting them both as, as a decision. You're holding to Torah. What you should be holding to is wisdom. You should be holding, you're holding to your legalism. You're holding to your rules. Jesus came and fulfilled them. Jesus came and did what you could not do. So the, the feminine aspect, it's all grammatical. It has nothing to do with your anatomy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it, it proves no point about women or men. It, it's all about the same grammatical structure that's used for Torah is used for wisdom. And that's the choice. You either keep clinging to your law and your legalism, or you cling to the one who fulfilled it. His name is Jesus. Do you see what we're doing in the introduction here of this book? This is going to get good. I mean, this is amazing stuff here. Verse number three, it says, at the right hand. <laughs> the son participates in divine activities, creating and sustaining. He took his rightful place, the place that wisdom has been. He left his place and then assumed his role when he got back. Do you see it? At his right hand. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand. Instead of having to continually offer sacrifice, as a priest would do every year, the son is able to sit down because his work is complete. Somebody say amen. That's why he became more superior to the angels. The natural progression since he temporarily gave up his deity to become a man, but then rose to be the conquering king, became more superior. How many of us are missing the fact that when we accept Jesus, we are accepting someone who has done all the work and who is resting in that work. I just want to encourage you as we start this book study, you need to rekindle your relationship with the one who has made purification for your sins and who is currently resting. I just don't understand what's happening in the world. I just don't. I'm so scared. I'm terrified. Have you heard the latest 10 conspiracy theorists? Alex Jones is right 99% of the time. 83, I think it is. <laughs> Have you heard? Hey, he's seated. I'm going to say it again. He's seated. He's waiting for the father to go, go get him. 
it's not go get the church. It's go get all the sorry sons of God that are running rampant. When he comes back, he's going to judge them. He's going to put them in their place. They will pay. Revengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. They should be the ones that are worried. They should be the ones that are anxious. Oh, fear him who can both put body and soul into hell. I'm feeling really good right about now. And if they choose to do whatever it is that they're going to do, have at it. Because he's seated. And when he stands again, watch out. My faith and trust is not in this economy. It's not in our leaders. It's in wisdom. The ancient of days, the son of God, the radiance of his glory, the one who has been there from the beginning, the one that is the I am. In the structure of their own Judaism, they ignored the fact that he came. Church, can we just rest? Can we quell the anxiety and just accept it? The only thing he's asking you to do is be faithful to the end. Well, that's a lot. Not really. That requires me to not sin. Yeah. Because <laughs> he already paid for him. He didn't say, don't do that. And if you do it, you have condemnation for that. He says, I already took the condemnation from you. I made purification with the purest blood on the planet. All you have to do is sit with me. All you have to do is trust in me. All you have to do is be loyal to me. And we can't get our faces out of the freaking phone. He's up there. I'm just as guilty as you are. We all, we all do it. Why? Because we're distracted. Hey, let's sit down this morning. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.